The following may contain strong language, sexual content, and or graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. my true crime maniacs welcome to the true crime brief podcast i'm your host dustin reichert author and retired deputy sheriff from the anoka county sheriff's office up in the land of Ten Thousand lakes this very first episode brings us over to barron wisconsin and maybe a familiar one to many of you we're going to talk about the case of the kidnapping of jamie Kloss and the horrific murder of her parents jake thomas patterson chose her fairly randomly murdered her parents and then kidnapped 13 year old jamie He held her captive for 88 days before she was able to escape. We'll talk about the details of this case, the frustrating investigation, the bravery of her escape, and the ultimate conviction of Patterson. So grab your favorite beverage. I've got my bourbon in hand, and let's dive deep into our very first episode of the True Crime Brief. This podcast is based on a true story with details obtained from police reports, criminal complaints, evidence review, video and or audio statements, news reports, online discussion, and direct interviews. Any discrepancies are due to varied recollections of others, competing statements, and attempts to come to a theory and conclusion. All persons are innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. It was October in the small western Wisconsin town of Barron. This little town of 3,300 residents sits just 55 miles north of Eau Claire, Wisconsin, 86 miles northeast of the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul, and just 113 miles south of Duluth, Minnesota. Barron's rich history dates back to its establishment in 1860 when the Stout Lumber Company was funding various farms and schools in the county. Barron is home to the Genio Turkey Store Products Plant, And this is where James and Denise Kloss had worked for the last 27 years, both in supervisory positions. Denise was working in the sanitation department and James was working in what's called the beehive section. James was originally from Ladysmith, Wisconsin, which was about 45 minutes from Barron. He often reminisced about the glory days of playing sports, especially football when he was younger. Some friends and family have even said he was good enough to play in college if he wanted to. Although James didn't, he sure loved watching both college and NFL football. Denise was a member of the St. Peter's Catholic Church and was born in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. That's about 45 minutes from Barron and about the same distance from Ladysmith. The three Wisconsin towns made a sort of triangle, a triangle of love to come perhaps. People who knew Denise described her as sweet, bubbly, and always willing to help when needed. Denise, who was very dedicated to her church and volunteering for Relay for Life events, loved working with her flowers in the garden, feeding her birds, and she loved angels. Some would say she herself was an angel. The two were wed on June 9th, 2003 in Las Vegas, Nevada. Just over two years later, in July of 2005, they would welcome their one and only child into their family, a bright, healthy baby girl that they would name Jamie Lynn. The middle name Lynn is named after James's mother. 
Friends and neighbors would describe Jamie as a sweet little girl that loved to go to school, loved being in dance, and loved her parents. In middle school, she was finally old enough to take care of herself after school, so she changed to the nearby Barron Middle School that year. Jamie was a fairly quiet and shy young lady who got good grades, loved her Snapchat, and her mom described her as googly over boys, you know, like any girl that age. It was Sunday, October 14th, 2018, and it wasn't any particularly special day. It was the 23rd day of fall. Presidential midterms were nearing with presidential hopeful Hillary Clinton falling fast in the polls to Joe Biden, who was now beginning to look like the Democratic frontrunner to run against then-President Donald J. Trump. The Green Bay Packers, a beloved NFL football team for most Wisconsinites and most certainly for James, they didn't play that Sunday because they were scheduled for Monday night football that week. James even took a vacation day on Tuesday so he could stay up and watch the whole game. You see, James never missed a Packers game. Sadly, James wouldn't get the opportunity to watch that game. This Sunday night started out as a normal one for the Kloss family. As the clock clicked over to 1 a.m., Jamie, now 13 years old, was all tucked into bed and deep asleep at night, as were James and Denise. Jamie was sound asleep when she suddenly was woken by the sound of her dog, Molly, barking at something outside. Startled, she got up and looked out the window. That's when Jamie noticed a red car driving up the driveway with all of its lights blacked out. She didn't recognize the car, and it was strange for someone to visit that time of night, especially with the lights all blacked out. Jamie had the intuition that something was wrong, and she rushed into her parents' room, waking them from their sleep to tell them. James and Denise both woke from their deep sleep and were surprised because they too weren't expecting anyone. It wasn't normal for someone to come there that late, so James went to investigate who was there, flashlight in hand. Denise and Jamie saw a shadow as they glanced out the window from a distance, a shadow of someone quickly approaching the house, and they knew something wasn't right. Denise got very nervous, grabbing Jamie and quickly rushing her into the bathroom, shutting and locking the door. They got into the bathtub and they huddled together, waiting for the all-clear Denise with her arms around Jamie, hoping for that moment for James to say all was okay. Sadly, that never happened. James saw the same shadow quickly moving up the front yard towards the house, and the person had a shotgun in his hand. He pointed it at James through the window, yelling, Get on the fucking ground! As he motioned for James to get down. James was confused, to say the least. It was late at night. He had just woken up. He was trying to piece all of this together. As he shined his flashlight out the window, James yelled back, What? The unknown man then reached to the front door and yelled out, Open the fucking door! It was an outer storm door and then the main wooden front door of the Kloss home. And there was a small window in that upper part of that main front door. James thought maybe it was some kind of law enforcement and yelled for the person to show their ID. Still trying to figure out what's going on, James peeked out that window to confirm who it was and what they wanted. The barrel of that shotgun raised up to that little window, James looking right at the end of the barrel and before he could register what was happening. An explosion came from the barrel of that shotgun. A 12-gauge slug penetrated the small window striking James in the face and he fell immediately. Jamie and Denise still huddled in the bathtub heard the sound of that shotgun going off. Heart pounding they grabbed each other more and Jamie knew her father had just been shot and probably killed. Denise, Jamie's mother, had her cell phone in her hand but hadn't called 911. Not yet at least. 
that changed as soon as she heard that second shotgun blast. Unbeknownst to them, the suspect had shot the lock off the main door and kicked it in, gaining access inside. Frantically, Denise finished those three little numbers, 911, and hit send, calling for help. As you can hear, Denise got through to 911 dispatchers while the sounds of footsteps from the suspect's steel-toed boots quickly ran through the house. He then returned to the only closed door of the house, which was the bathroom where Denise and Jamie were hiding. While Denise was on the 911 call, the suspect was kicking in the door of that bathroom. There was not much else intelligible on that call, but what is clear is the sheer terror of that moment. Denise put her arms around Jamie, bear-hugging her, trying to do what she could to protect her. They now see the suspect, an unknown, strange white male, standing in the broken bathroom doorway, holding a 12-gauge black Mossberg pump shotgun. He was wearing blue jeans, brown boots, a black sweatshirt, black mask, hood, and he was wearing gloves. Standing over him, he tossed a black roll of tape to Denise and told her to put the tape over Jamie's mouth to keep her quiet. Hesitatingly, Denise complied. Then the suspect pointed the shotgun at Denise's head. In an act of both evil violence and pure cowardice, he turned his head away as to not look, as if he couldn't watch. And then one more explosion from that shotgun. Jamie, terrified, devastated, was spared kind of. The suspect taped Jamie's hands together and then her feet together. He then pulled her out of that tub and dragged her out to his car through her father's blood down the stairs and through the yard. At one point, he yelled at her and told her she was going to have to walk herself, except he remembered that he had taped her ankles together. As they reached the car, a four-door red Ford Taurus, he opened the trunk and put Jamie inside. As the trunk closed, Jamie laid terrified, wondering what's going to happen to her. Knowing her parents were probably dead, is she going to die too? Is he going to do other things to her? She was suddenly distracted as she heard the muffled sounds of the car door and the car engine starting up. She felt the car that she was in start to back out of the driveway, her home, her entire world, and then drive away at a high rate of speed from 1268 Highway 8, Barron, Wisconsin. Shortly after, she heard the muffled sounds of a police siren. And then another. And another. All shortly, one after another. But any glimpse of hope hearing those sirens may have brought quickly faded away with the sounds of the sirens fading themselves. And then nothing else. Let's take a break here. We'll be right back. Welcome back. In the early morning of October 15, 2018, Barron County Police Dispatch received a 911 call from 1268 Highway 8 in the city of Barron, Wisconsin, an address that was just outside of the downtown area. All the dispatcher could hear were muffled screams and the sound of kicking in what is likely the final fatal gunshot of that night. 
Although Barron has its own police department, when understaffed or not staffed at all or busy on another call, they were often be backed up or even have calls taken by the Barron County Sheriff's Office. The dispatch call to squads went out and squads arrived in just under three minutes from being dispatched. As they arrived, Deputy Presley's squad was the first to pull in. He blacked out with his headlights and pulled carefully into the end of the driveway of the Kloss family home. Deputy Fick was right behind him and Deputy Sendani was just seconds behind both of them. They exited their squads quietly and listened. They didn't know what the call was, just some kind of domestic situation. There were no lights on outside and there was one light on in the house in the northwest upstairs corner and a light visible from the rear of the house inside the upper part of the residence. As Deputy Sedani approached the front door, it was difficult to see because of the condensation. They heard nothing, though. Nothing but the sound of the night. As he got closer, he approached cautiously, not knowing exactly what the call was. Certainly no sounds of screaming or distress like they heard on the 911 call. It was almost eerie. Often, calls like this end up being some kind of domestic-related situation, a fight between husband and wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, or parent and child, all which can be extremely dangerous for police officers. As Deputy Presley was checking the back, he instructed Deputy Sedani to try to make contact to the front door. The tapes did not sound good. I'm assuming the front door is up there. Go up front. I don't, there's not a door back here. Somebody's down. Go. He could see inside the front door and that it was open, so he shined his flashlight inside. That's when he saw the two legs of James Kloss pointing towards the front door, James laying on his back. Deputy Presley describes James as having significant trauma to the head and face with lots of blood and, well, other biological signs of death. Sheriff's office! Sheriff's office! Sheriff's office! Deputies thought that maybe James had committed suicide and asked dispatch to have an officer from the Barron Police Department come to the scene. But those initial thoughts changed pretty quickly. There's an, I don't see a gun, guys, so let's not write it off as a suicide. And have EMS stage. Sheriff's office, if you're inside, announce! There's a shotgun shell. But I don't see a shotgun. Two shotgun shells. He realized that the front door was forced open and saw multiple shotgun shells. One on the concrete steps outside, one next to James's body, and one in front of the open interior door, later determined to be the bathroom. There was a gunshot hole in the locking mechanism of the front door and damage to the window. Add that with the serious trauma to James, it became obvious this wasn't a suicide. Um, so we're going to clear the house best we can safely. 317, we're going to be clearing the house. 10 for 317. Slow and steady? Slow and steady. Sheriff's office. As other squads arrived to assist on the perimeter, the three-man team of deputies went inside to clear the house. You see, they didn't know exactly what they had going on there. They didn't know what they were looking for. Was there an assailant inside? Was there anyone hiding from the assailant? Was anyone else inside hurt? One thing deputies did know is there was not enough time to wait for the ERT or the emergency response team. This was a priority, an emergency, so it was on them to handle it. I'm covering right. 
You want to, here, just both of you dip into the living room, clear that completely. I'll cover all this. Yeah. Let him go first. We got a body in here too. Do you see a shotgun? I do not. Okay. Something happened. The, the fucking door is kicked in right here. You want to double check? I'm assuming this person is deceased right here. You guys see any phones laying around? There's one on the floor right here. Is that a female? Yeah. Okay. Looks like it. 317 burn. 317. The house is cleared. We have two down, unresponsive in the residence. Shortly after they entered the Kloss home, they found Denise there in the bathtub, helpless, lifeless, with a gunshot wound to her head. As they wrapped up their thorough search of the Kloss residence, they exited the home. 317, Mary, can you have the ambulance come up? 10-4. Paramedics from the Mayo Clinic Medical Transport Ambulance were on scene. Although the significance of the injuries were obvious to deputies that both James and Denise could not have survived them, they asked one of the paramedics to come inside and help confirm medically. Not surprisingly, it was ruled that no life-saving measures would help James or Denise. They were officially deceased, murdered. Additional officers from a variety of agencies all the way up to the state level were called in to assist. They set up a command post and did a perimeter search in the area and were looking for suspects or any other potential victims and maybe some evidence, some kind of clue. It was not fully clear how they first determined that there was a child likely missing. I'm sure during the initial and secondary search of the Kloss residence, it must have been obvious that there was a child involved with this family. Either way, sometime overnight, they were made aware that James and Denise had a daughter named Jamie and she was missing. During that secondary search, they also found a family dog, Molly, trembling, hiding terrified in the basement behind a washer and dryer. Barron area residents and the country as a whole woke the next day to hear the surprising news of the double murder of James and Denise Kloss and the likely kidnapping of 13-year-old Jamie. We have breaking news this morning. Two people have been found dead in Barron County, and a teenager is missing in the case. The Barron County Sheriff's Department says they received a 911 call this morning at 1 a.m. from a person asking for help at 1268 Highway 8. When deputies arrived at the house, they found two adults dead inside. A 13-year-old girl is missing from the home and is considered missing and endangered. The girl is 13-year-old Jamie Kloss. Deputies say she's five feet tall, 100 pounds with green eyes and blonde hair. You see, these aren't the kind of things that tend to happen in an American small town, especially not barren Wisconsin. Details and evidence were minimal and slow to surface. No known motive, no known suspects, just a frantic 911 call in a red car that squads passed shortly before they arrived at the Kloss residence. They had the FBI, the State Criminal Bureau of Investigation, and multiple other agencies assisting them. They had drones up in the air with thermal sensors and many people searching on the ground, but no suspects, and more importantly, no Jamie was found that night or the next day or the next day. 
The FBI is asking for the public's help in its nationwide search for a missing 13-year-old New details Wisconsin in the mystery of missing Wisconsin teenager Jamie A look Kloss. from above is more than 100 people are looking for a missing 13-year-old girl from Barron County, Wisconsin. Based on our investigations thus far, we believe Jamie was in the home at the time of the homicides, and we believe she is still in danger. 200 law enforcement officers, including the FBI, are now involved in the around-the-clock search for the 13-year-old, the crime shocking the small town. Within a couple days, investigators already received over 200 tips, one of which was that Jamie was seen in Miami, Florida in a vehicle. We follow up on every tip. They've received more than 200 after a statewide Amber Alert describing Jamie as 5 feet tall, 100 pounds, with green eyes and blonde hair. More than 1,500 miles away, Miami police reported a possible sighting of her in a Ford SUV. A car matching that description was caught on camera, but police in Wisconsin don't think that lead is credible. Here, the investigation continues as the small town looks on. They found that it wasn't Jamie, which gave them both relief and disappointment. In the meantime, the Barron community came together and held a vigil for Jamie that first week. While they were there, they handed out blue and green ribbons. Blue because it was Jamie's favorite color. And green because it represented the color for missing children's awareness. We hear from Denise's sister, Jamie's aunt, for the first time at that vigil. Jamie is a sweet, quiet girl who is a loyal friend and loves to dance. Tuesday night, a vigil was held to remember James and Denise and pray for the safe return of Jamie. As days went on, more than 1,300 tips had come in and still no Jamie. A week after the murders of James and Denise and the kidnapping of Jamie, they had very little leads. There were two vehicles that became vehicles of interest because they were seen on surveillance cameras near the Kloss home, but Little did they know that those vehicles had nothing to do with the incident. We've received over 1,300 tips in our community and from across the nation. We have closed 1,100 of those. Additionally, through the examination of video camera footage, both from businesses and homes, we have determined two vehicles that were in the, in the Kloss home, near the Kloss home, at the time of the incident. You'll see three photos up here. The first vehicle is likely a 2008 to 2014 Dodge Challenger red or orange in color. The second vehicle is likely either a 2006 to 2010 Ford Edge Black or a 2004 to 2010 Acura MDX Black in color. Again, I want to stress these are vehicles of interest only. If anyone sees or has seen these two vehicles in or around Barron County over the past two weeks, they are asked to call our tip line with the time it was observed location and license plate number if available. Once again, we are only gonna take tips based on the above information, no other makes and models of vehicles are being followed up on. Also for the community, this is a good time now that we have some vehicles of interest to look for changes in behavior or routine of people. We have the two cars described, either they don't drive them anymore, they've changed their routine on what they drive or where they drive. Sightings of Jamie you should call 911. Sightings of this vehicle, you should call our tip line. They had no other leads, no fingerprints, no DNA, no actual camera footage of the actual car, nothing. Nothing but a red car that deputies passed near the Kloss home on the way to the 911 call. Investigators did two different searches of the Kloss home looking for evidence during the investigation in the early days and the family, even themselves, once the scene was released, 
did their own search. They were hoping that, as a family familiar with the residents, that maybe they would see it with more familiar eyes, but still nothing. More than a week after the disappearance, they asked for volunteers from the community, 2,000 of them to be exact. They had a helicopter flying overhead the day before while the sheriff had been asking for those volunteers, and that helicopter was taking pictures so that they could prepare to do a grid search with maps and photos. Still, no Jamie and no additional clues. And the two cars that they considered cars or vehicles of interest, well, they ended up not being involved at all. The family of James and Denise and Jamie had to make some very tough decisions that week. It was important to have a funeral service for James and Denise. They deserved it. But Jamie, who was still missing, also deserved to be at her parents' funeral. It was a very tough call, but just under two weeks later, on Saturday, October 27th, they held funeral services for James and Denise, and they held it at the St. Peter's Catholic Church in Cameron. That's Denise's church. Where they had Father Bala Raju Palaketi as the officiant in... While he prayed for James and Denise, he also prayed for the safe return of young Jamie. In Wisconsin news tonight, today is the 12th day since the disappearance of Jamie Kloss and the murder of her parents, James and Denise Kloss. A funeral was held for her parents this afternoon at St. Peter's Catholic Church in Barron County. The two were found dead in their Barron home and their 13-year-old daughter, Jamie, missing. Her parents' death were ruled a homicide and officials believe Jamie is still in danger. The Barron County Sheriff's Department announced a $50,000 reward yesterday morning for any information leading to finding Jamie. Three weeks after the funeral, Twin Cities reporter from Fox 9 News, Paul Bloom, had connected with the members of the Kloss family and they sat down for a very rare interview. And during that interview, in the arms of Jamie's aunt Jennifer, was Jamie's dog, Molly. Jamie Kloss's loved ones compared to sleepwalking, a constant day since our world was flipped on its head four weeks ago. If you're just dealing with anger, that's one thing to deal with. But when you're dealing with fear, sadness, anger, so many emotions that hit you all at once, all you do is you feel numb and you just don't know where to go. That's it for part one of this story. Come back next week and check out part two as we learn more about the roller coaster experience that investigators were going through in the search for Jamie and her abductor. Remember that glass that we poured earlier? Well, I want you to grab it, whatever you have left. I want you to raise it in the air. This is for, you know, the first responders, the witnesses, the friends, the family of James and Denise, and most importantly, the Jamie. Now I want you to take that glass before you take that final sip, and I want you to tap it on the table near you. This is for the fallen victims of this monster, for Denise and James. And then take that final sip in their honor. My name is Dustin Reichert. I'll see you next week. Thanks for checking out the True Crime Brief podcast. Uh, thanks so much for listening to the True Crime Brief podcast. Thank you so much for the support. You want to know you can help us out some more? There's a couple ways. Share, share, share. Let all your friends and family know about it. Tell them they just got to give it a listen. Also, 
Any place you can give review, I'd love a five-star rating. If you have any input, certainly just send me a message. Love to hear about it. Discuss the cases. Did you know one of the biggest ways that you can help support a podcaster is by actually downloading the episode? That's how a lot of the numbers are monitored is actually by downloads, not just listens. Give it an idea. Either way, we're going to be planning on several of these. We've got some interesting cases coming up. Truly appreciate the support. We'll see you next time at the True Crime Brief Podcast.